welcome to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I would like to welcome to the show today, Representative Emily Kornheiser. Hello, Emily. Hello, Olga. And Representative Teresa Wood. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Olga. And today we are talking about Act 156, which was passed last session. You remember that session that never ended, everyone? Um, <laughs> and it's known as the Older Vermonters Act, and it, it lays out a number of guidelines on how to support older Vermonters, as not just support them in their homes, but also the services to, to wrap around them to, to protect their health and their well-being and their financial security. Um, Teresa is the chair of the Human Services Committee and uh, vice, vice, uh, vice chair. Vice sorry, chair. thank you. I even wrote it down and I'm staring at it. Um, <laughs> That's okay, just don't let Representative Pugh know. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you won't tell. Um, and and Daniel Noyes, who will be joining us later on the show, um, also worked on this bill. So I'm curious, Teresa. I would love to hear from you about why this bill even came to fruition in the first place? That's a really good, um, it's a really good question. And uh, I can tell you that primarily, I, this is my sixth year in the legislature and um, in the Human Services Committee, and I've been in the Human Services Committee for five years, um, the, the bulk of the conversation is around um, Vermonters who struggle economically and children. And um, we generally don't or haven't in the past is what I should say. Haven't in the past talked a lot about older Vermonters, uh, their needs, their contributions, their uh, place in our community. And uh, Representative Noyes and I, uh, Representative Noyes also sits on the Human Services Committee. Um, and I should, by way of disclosure, let people know that I was the former deputy commissioner of the Department of Disabilities, Aging, and Independent Living. So I have a background in this professionally and uh, spent most of my time in disability and aging services. So um, it just became really apparent as I spent time on our committee that uh, we needed to have a focus on older Vermonters and we needed to put in place something that would provide our state policy with regard to what older Vermonters should expect from the state of Vermont. And because there was nothing in state policy prior to this regarding, uh, regarding that. And we wanted it to be clear. We used a, a deliberative process. So there was a bill that preceded this, this act um, that was the bill that created the Older Vermonters Working Group. And for a period of 18 months or so, there was a group of people interested in the topic. So everything from um, uh, legal aid to uh, our area agencies on aging to home health agencies to the Department of Disabilities, Aging, and Independent Living, Representative Noise and I participated. Uh, so there was a wide swath of interested individuals to come up with uh, basic, the, sort of the basic tenets of what this older Vermont, what now is known as the Older Vermonters Act 156, um, what it should contain. And so, um, it was a, a, a lengthy process. 
but one that resulted in something that I think um, gives us an opportunity to focus not only on the needs of older Vermonters, but on their contributions to our communities. Yeah, I just, for the sake of our, our listeners and viewers, I just want to quickly, in broad strokes, talk about some of the um, the systems of support that this bill lays out. There's It talks about self-determination um, so that Vermont older Vermonters can direct their aging rather than just ha- be something that happens to them, which I thought was a very powerful statement. Mm-hmm. Safety and protection. Protection, you know, living in in their own home, having uh, a safe home, a safe community, coordinated and efficient systems of service, financial security, optimal health and wellness, social connection engagement, housing, transportation and community design and family caregiver support were just some of the things that this bill lays out. And to me, that was very comprehensive uh, to consider not just the the um elders but their families as well um and i was just gonna say olga one of the things that we know is that the majority of older vermonters uh when they sort of get to the stage in their life where they might need some additional support that is that is done mostly by family caregivers um there's a very small slice of people who actually seek out um seek out what, you know, we refer to as long-term care services and supports. So um, that's why it's really important to acknowledge the role of family support caregivers. Yeah, all of those things that you just identified, those are um, basic principles. They are now policy of the state of Vermont that these principles will guide the services and supports for older Vermonters and their families. And uh, oh, sorry. I appreciate it so much that you did this because I feel like it really flips the script in a lot of ways. For in my first two years in the legislature, the only time I heard people talking about older Vermonters was as this economic liability. And the solution in sort of the conversation that people seem to be having broadly was to attract more younger Vermonters to the state rather than thinking about the incredible benefits and needs that older Vermonters bring as we age. And so I appreciate so much that you took that conversation and you moved with it to a place where we're really thinking about sort of the community that we do have and what that community needs. Absolutely, Emily. It was one of the things that drove me nuts. I'll be perfectly honest. You know, anytime somebody spoke about older Vermonters or the aging of our state or Vermont being the second oldest state in the country, it was like with such dread and doom and gloom and uh, always speaking of older Vermonters as this burden on our uh, society and on our uh, communities and without the recognition that uh, older Vermonters play such a vital role in the social connectedness of our communities, in the economic stability of our communities. I mean, people are working longer and longer, um, you know, into their 60s, 70s, 80s, um, and being very viable employees, you know, for the workforce that that we continually hear about in our discussions around uh, the economy in the state. So um, that was that was one of the goals that uh, Representative Noyes and I had was to start uh, changing that um, you know that picture of what an older Vermonter is and and needs, and started also thinking about their contributions um, and their um, their successes in our communities. Olga, we interrupted you. Sorry, you were going to say something. 
No, I just wanted to uh, get a pulse on this bill because uh, it was passed in the fall, um, and it does lay out some timelines. I'm wondering kind of where uh, in the process, because while this was passed last year, it's still a fairly new, a new bill or a new act, I should say. Yes, it is. Uh, and, um, the, the, the biggest thing is that we wanted people to be able to take, uh, their time in putting together a thoughtful process. So, um, the other thing that I want to point out in this is while, um, sort of in, you know, legislative speak, um, it would be logical that we would say to the Department of Disabilities, Aging and Independent Living, you will be the lead on this, um, because they provide services and supports. Um, however, um, I think it was important for us to say that we've placed sort of the onus of responsibility here uh, at the governor's office because we wanted it to be broad across all departments and state government. So when you're thinking about transportation, you're thinking about how is this going to impact older Vermonters or how are we building our sidewalks? When you're thinking about broadband, how is that going to affect telemedicine for or the 85-year-old that lives up in the Northeast Kingdom, or when you're thinking about other government services, or you're thinking about trails, you know, money to put into trails, are we thinking about making them accessible, or at least a portion of them accessible? Um, you know, all, all those different things that we think about in, uh, in the legislature, we wanted uh, state government um, to think about those as well, in terms of a broad, um, the broadness of the impact here and not just in state government. We want this, this goes beyond state government to philanthropy and to the private sector. Um, so the secretary of administration is actually charged, um, with, uh, preparing this, um, plan. And, uh, of course, operationally, the Department of Disabilities, Aging and Independent Living has a, a main focus along with the Vermont Department of Health. So, um, they're just in the process now of uh, putting together sort of uh, the, the actual time frame that they will, re- you know, the implementation of this. Um, and there are other aspects of the bill that I'm sure we'll get into in terms of protection um, uh, as we talk further. But um, so I, I just want to have an opportunity here to welcome my colleague, Representative Ann Noyes. Yes, thank, thank you. you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm sorry I was late. I actually was presenting with Representative Rogers to the uh, seventh grade class, <laughs> um, and uh, it was it was great. They had some great questions, and um, so yeah, uh, always good thanks. to connect with our youngest constituents. Um, so it was it was good. Thank you. Nice to meet you, uh, Representative Daniel Noyes. Thanks. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for having us or having me. And <laughs> <laughs> So right before you came on, I was asking Teresa why, how this bill came to be or how this act came to be. Um, I'm not used to talking about things that have actually passed. We're usually talking about things that <laughs> are pending. Um, and I'm wondering for you, Dan, what, what's important about this bill for, for you? I think what's the kind of the, one thing about this bill is that we brought all the advocates, all of the people working together that provide services to older Vermonters involved with the policy. We brought them all together and we said, how do we craft kind of a great, a a picture, a big picture of 
how the state should um, work to make sure that uh, older Vermonters have the services they need, that they have access to care, that uh, broadband, you know, and the neat, that was the neatest thing was that, you know, there were people from the Department of Health, there was people from the AG's office, from um, home health, transportation providers, and they, we met for over a year, and we really kind of tried to craft this kind of big picture, what's important, how does it all work together, and just bringing all those people together and having that unity, and sure, there's stuff that was um, not in the bill that some people wanted, and there was, you know, it was a, a it was really um, great democracy and good give and take by everybody who's involved. So I thought that was kind of the neatest thing about how we got to where we where we did, and um, you know, the participation um, it, at that level. And then when we got it into committee, um, you know, there was some work that needed to be done and we we moved around a bunch of stuff but largely it was uh we had done a lot of work before and i i you know teresa and did amazing work there and bringing it all together so lucky to uh to be part of that process can i highlight something about that because i think we have um, an ongoing conversation on this show over the last few years about sometimes working groups are a really great way to kick the can down the the road and never do anything. And I think most of our constituents perceive them that way, but often we use them as a way to make like really difficult, comprehensive, meaningful decisions and conversations that we don't have the time to do within the legislative process. And so they're often the very best way to get a difficult piece of legislation passed. And so I just want to highlight this as an example of when a working group did the work and made it happen. Yeah, that's so right, Emily, because um, if, if on a on a piece as comprehensive as this, um, that uh, we wouldn't have been able to spend the amount of time in committee to be able to hammer out, you know, things like the the principles to put principles in state government about uh, what older Vermonters and their families should expect, you know. So they had to come from really the grassroots uh, level of being able to. Um, being able to put those things down to paper and have people agree on it. And uh, oftentimes, you know, like you said, these uh, working groups, there's a perception, you know, that it's, you know, uh, trying to appease somebody or it's a report that's going to get put on a shelf someplace. But oftentimes what really ends up happening is it's, it's sort of the beginning of a conversation that in the legislature takes sometimes several years in order for something to actually be achieved. And, um, you know, that was the case with this. Mm-hmm. I'd love uh, to hear from you, Emily. You know, here in Wyndham County, we, we tell that story a lot about how we're one of the oldest counties in the state and we need to attract more young people. Has working on this bill or even just working with your constituents you know, what What stories are you seeing play out? And, you know, are any of them true? Do any of them need to go? Share that with us. Um, so, you know, we are, everyone says we're the oldest county and the oldest state. That's definitely something that I heard even before I ran for office. And again, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, even as I said earlier, we also have um, the most nonprofits per capita as a county in this country. So that's, um, and there's some synergy there, right? So, 
but as I sort of think about what that means for the vibrancy of our community, um, especially in the context of COVID, there's really, you know, profound spirit of volunteerism in our community because of how many older Vermonters we have, how many people who have been in this community for a really long time have deep social ties to each other and to younger people into the community and to the institutions in the community and are carry th- carrying things forward and able to sort of offer that up to younger generations who might not have the time and space to do that kind of volunteering. And so there's those benefits. And then there's also some of the challenges that I think we're going to be facing. We have a lot of folks who are living in the houses that they raise their kids in um, that are too big and too drafty. And um, there isn't really sort of the other housing solution available in our area right now for people. And so we have a lot of people sort of in homes that are too big and too difficult for them. And so I think that's sort of a policy solution that I um, am thinking about in this context, which isn't a problem. It's just sort of a thing that's happening in our community, because we also have a lot of families that are in houses that are way too small for them that want to move into a bigger house. Um, There's what Teresa said about sort of roads and sidewalks. I think that's a real ongoing um, conversation in our community is sort of how we care for our sidewalks and what accessibility looks like for them, especially in the summer, um, sorry, in the winter. Um, And we talk about that in the context of bicycles, usually, but we really need to be talking about it in the context of accessibility more broadly. And then particularly in um, West Brattleboro, Mountain Home has a huge proportion of older Vermonters living in it, um, because it is a really affordable place for people to live and live independently somewhere that is sort of maintainable and, you know, um, folks can connect and access. And so really doing everything we can to sort of strengthen access to social services there and strengthen access um, between sort of somewhere that's down a dirt road and the sort of core center of town where so much is available, I think. And I see all of the threads of all of those things in the Older Vermonters Act. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, housing is definitely something that um, – you know, we're really going to need to be working on over the next few years. And it's and it's about um, housing in people's own communities. It's not, you know, if you look at um, someone who lives up on East Hill in Woolkit, the, the, the town I live in, you know, if you told them, hey, there's this great um, housing unit that, um, you know, would, would be a really good place for you, and but it's in Stowe, that's not where their social connections are. Their social connections are in Woolkit. And so we need to, um, you know, we really need to be thinking about how do we make sure that we have affordable, accessible housing in people's communities where they have their social connections, because, um, you know, that's going to make it a lot easier to move out of the, you know, move out of an existing home and into something that's, that's more manageable, but still, you know, be in a familiar setting. Mm-hmm. Very good point. We I, we tend to undervalue, I think, sometimes social connections, and they really are part of our, our all of our well being and mm-hmm. and um, mental health. I want to talk a little bit about financial security for a number of reasons because Teresa brought up that great point about how people are often working later into life, and so they are part of our economic fabric. But there's also this this interesting part about care and um, 
later in life for for families as well. You know, they're part of the economic health of their their elders. Um, can we talk about that balance of caring for families and caring for, you know, the elders at the same time? Well, we certainly, um, you know, no, I don't think any one of us is, uh, is not familiar with sort of the sandwich generation who is, you know, taking care of an older parent and, uh, you know, has teenagers or kids in college or even, you know, younger children at this point in time. And, um, if, if that's a reality, I mean, those, those, um, those are things that families are dealing with. And I think that, um, you know, when Emily was talking and, and Dan was talking about sort of the supportive services and some of the things contained in this act about self-determination and making sure that um, people have choices and don't feel like they're sort of pigeonholed into, oh, okay, this is the only thing that I know of. And, and I'll be honest with you, people in their 80s and 90s, when they think of long-term services and supports, they think of nursing homes. And Vermont has so many more options than that. And uh, you know, our Choices for Care program, well, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it is, you know, was a leader in the country and still is in providing options for those individuals who are eligible for Medicaid. And um, unfortunately, there's a, a lot of um, folks when they reach that stage of life that may have worked through their life savings. And the only thing they have is Social Security. And, uh, you know, essentially that does make them eligible for Medicaid. So they do have access to things like, um, you know, respite. So family caregivers can have support in the home. Um, we, we have adult day programs, which frankly have undergone uh, a great deal of stress during this pandemic times. Um, and, uh, but they provide, you know, a full day of support for an older Vermonter living at home who needs supervision. Um, and often that level of support enables the family members at home to be able to work. Um, and to go to their jobs um, or to tend to their other family members at home. So, uh, you know, when we think about, um, you know, being able to support older Vermonters in the settings that they prefer, I've never really heard an older Vermonter say, I want to go to a nursing home, um, you know, that that's where I want to be. You know, some people, you know, end up there, but, um, and, and they uh, don't get me wrong, they play a valuable role in, in the, our sort of continuum of services. Um, but most people would prefer to be at home or with their families, um, or, you know, in the, in their home communities of some sort with the level of support. And Vermont, um, does that better than any other place in the country. Thank you. We have just about five minutes before the break. So I want to touch with, Touching with Dan and Emily to see if there's anything you want to leave listeners with before we hear from some of our underwriters. Emily? Um, I want to sort of say, I think, you know, Olga was touching on this idea of um, Vermonters sort of being able to afford the time and space to care for their loved ones. And that's something we talk about to some degree, you know, with regards to child care and I think often when we talk about family medical leave and family medical leave insurance, the first conversation is about bonding, and it's not about um, care for older family members. And I think in the workplace, I've um, seen people really struggle to take leave to care for older family members, while in workplaces that absolutely accommodate care for children without a second thought. And so I think that's a really 
powerful um, both policy shift that we're making, but also um, sort of personal cultural shift that we need to be taking on. And as an only child, I think before we started, Olga said that she was an only child. Um, as an only child of aging parents who both live out of state, it's something that I think about a lot. Like what what is it going to look like when I need to, you know, leave mm-hmm. weeks at a time to go care for my parents? Who I hope my, yeah, my mom and I had a, a conversation a few years ago that was very important. Uh, she is in an assisted living facility because she has MS. Um, and the conversation we had to have was, well, mom, what choices do you want to make? Because there will come a time because of the MS, I won't be able to care for you. Like if you fall, I can't pick you up. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, and so she chose. Uh, an assisted living facility, but it wasn't, and I'm, I'm happy for her and I'm glad she had that choice to make and she made it when she could, but it's been an interesting process to watch um, just for the family to go through that mm-hmm. and to watch her move and to watch her move to Medicaid and, and what financial uh, what's left money for her own money to spend at the end of the month because the state takes this, takes so much of her, her social security and that type of thing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's given me a new look on things, I guess I should say, you know, and I'm stumbling because it's a process that's ongoing. You know, I haven't come to the end of it, so I'm still learning, but, um, they weren't easy choices. And unlike a child that you can say, you're going to do this because I'm the adult and I'm telling you, it's very interesting to have those conversations with your parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you brought up paid family, Emily, because that really um, wasn't, uh, you know, I spoke about it on the floor uh, when we were debating that bill. Um, and it really it really is important to make sure that people understand that it's not only for a new family, it's for, um, you know, caring for a loved one or, or your parents or um, your spouse or whatever. So a lot of a lot of times that gets lost a little bit, but it's there. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Representative Daniel Noyce, Representative Teresa Wood. Representative Emily Kornheiser, we have to go to break and hear from some of our underwriters here on WBW 107.7 LP Rattlebro, but stay tuned. The Montpelier Happy Hour. Here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining us, I am your host, Emily Kornheiser, as well as Representative Teresa Wood and Representative Dan Noyce. Thank you so much for being here. We are talking about older Vermonters and Act 156, known as the Older Vermonters Act. I would like to segue from the act a little bit and let's talk about COVID and the impact it has had on our our elders. Mm. I'll start it off, but uh, I'm sure we all have a boatload that we could say about that. Um, I think that um, one of the things that actually really stood out to me the most, and that was really right around the time that um, we were working on this bill last year, and that was that the impact on older Vermonters in congregate care um, facilities, you know, a nursing home, um, 
became evident right away, you know, and that's where still primarily most of our deaths have come from, uh, unfortunately. Um, but we did not at the outset have a, have a strategy specifically related to older Vermonters in congregate care. So, you know, when we're talking, you know, people were thinking about community spread, they were thinking about schools, they were thinking about, you know, the legislature, you know, we were thinking about workplaces, we were not thinking about in advance, um, well, nobody was thinking in advance about COVID, but we were not thinking about at the time that we needed a specific strategy to prevent the illness and uh, spread of the disease in uh, nursing homes and other long-term care facilities um, at the outset. Of course, that needed to be developed very rapidly as it became apparent that, uh, one, how contagious this was, and two, that um, uh, how, uh, you know, our older population um, really succumb to it at a much higher rate than uh, people under the age of 75. So that became apparent. Um, but, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me is that at the very outset, we didn't have a specific strategy around people living in congregate care when we knew that it was a highly contagious um, virus. And so um, that, uh, as I said, that changed quickly. And uh, you know, Vermont now, you know, does have among the lowest rates in congregate care, lowest rates of deaths in congregate care, although, um, as I said, most of our deaths have that have occurred there. So that's been a, a huge thing. I have a 90-year-old aunt who lives in uh, an assisted living um, facility. And um, the other biggest thing I will say is the isolation that people have experienced. Um, it, it's been dramatic. Uh, and although we keep in touch on the phone and occasional, um, Facebook, uh, I mean, uh, Skyping, it is, um, it's very difficult. That's very difficult on them. So Dan or, or Emily, you have thoughts about that? Well, I think that isolation, um, wasn't just limited to folks who were living in congregate care settings. I think that we've seen Vermonters across the state feeling you know, being incredibly isolated through this and um, didn't necessarily have the resources and supports in place to bridge that really intense isolation, partly because of technology. Um, and a lot of people, you know, didn't yet have broadband um, or didn't yet have the kind of IT skills that they would need to do the kind of endless zooming that we all are doing with each other. Um, and the sort of mutual support networks that I think developed after a while. Um, the volunteerism in our community, in at least my community, is really mostly older Vermonters who do it. And so the mm -hmm. system of folks to, like, bridge that isolation really broke down when we didn't have older Vermonters to be doing the visiting, too. You know, like, even our Meals mm -hmm. and Wheels is mostly older Vermonters who do the driving. And so that... Um, that isolation, I think, has been really, really hard, and I appreciate how much people are doing to protect their own safety, but I think um, we need to continue to step up to care for those people who are taking care of their own safety. Uh -huh. One of the things that I've been really thinking about around that companionship piece and, and trying to look at technology, especially um, in rural Vermont, is you know, is there a possibility that we could use um, Medicaid to help 
um, pay for uh, internet, you know, internet access where we're trying to move into these CUDs, communication union districts, it'll be important for them to have the community buy-in to have that mass in order to be able to run that fiber optic and to maintain a system. So uh, I've been reaching out to our congressional delegation because it's not allowed. Uh, we have this thing called Lifeline where we can have a phone, but here we see during the pandemic that it's companionship and, and having that access to even register for a vaccine. If you don't have internet uh, or a computer or the ability to use one, you have to rely on others to help you with that. And, you know, I think as we um, generations age, um, you know, we're going to have people that are going to be, um, you know, they've been using computers for 10, 20 years. And then, um, being able to pay for it, if we could possibly have that be a reimbursable expense for their, um, because telehealth, telemedicine, that companionship, as we just talked about, is all so important. So I've been talking to Senator Sanders' office about it. Um, and uh, so we'll see. Hopefully we'll have some discussion about it this week. So, And I've been talking to our Energy and Technology Committee about it. So who knows where that will go. I'm, I'm curious about um... – you know, Emily, I always admire Emily because she is like a bureaucracy whisperer. And I get extremely frustrated very easily by bureaucracy. But one thing I find so fascinating is, um, is, is just trying to navigate it. And elders, it seems they have so much for bureaucracy to navigate. And if they're not doing it, they're family members. I'm, I'm trying to schedule my dad's vaccine right now. A whole other story. Um, and and I wonder, is there anything, any movements to try to simplify some of the hoops people have to jump through um, to, to access some of these services? Well, I think that you raise a good question, Olga. Um, that's when, you know, when we were talking back earlier about accessibility, it's not just about physical accessibility of, you know, our buildings and our streets and our public places. It's it's really about digital accessibility and uh, governmental accessibility. I mean, one of the things that I say to my constituents all the time is that, uh, you know, I'm uh, if you're having problems, I'm I'm the link, um, you know, to try to help you um, get through those issues. And we certainly saw, uh, you know, more than I've ever seen before when when people were needing to and continuing to need to now uh, apply for unemployment. Um, but one of the things I just want to make sure that your listeners and, and viewers uh, get is the senior helpline number, um, because that is something that people can reach out to for information and assistance. And that is 1-800-642-5100. Um, and so when people are, are like at their wits end and trying to figure that out and family caregivers can call too. So you don't need to be the, the older Vermonter yourself, the family caregiver can call and say, you know, I need help with trying to figure this out. Um, and, uh, you know, they, that's what, that's what they're there for. Um, and it's also there for, um, people with disabilities as well, um, to be able to access, uh, I can't say we've made great strides in that, Olga. I mean, I, I, I would be, I, I would love to be able to say that, but uh, we're doing, uh, we're trying to make things accessible all the way around in terms of 
uh, people who have English as their second language and um, people who, um, you know, don't have access to technology and people who even, you know, with assistance just find it difficult to access, you know, the barrage of services that there are out there and all the information that you have to give um, in order to get access to them. Um, so it's, it's, it's not easy. I, I, you know, well, it'll be a continued, you, continued work in progress. <laughs> I'm glad you knew that phone number, Teresa. It's, uh, well, I was yeah, about to start say, looking it up. I, and you, it you it. I love it. You know, I, I pulled it up on my screen, but you know, don't give me too much credit. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> And, 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 and I will put it well in the, the podcast show notes. All okay. right, perfect. No, and, you know, working with the area agencies on aging or home health and having a case manager um, or if you're working with SASH or whoever, you know, those are really good advocates. And then, you know, rely on what your representatives. Is SASH, uh, what does SASH stand? Uh, yeah, we're using acronyms. What is SASH? Oh, sorry. Services and supports at home. Uh, so it's um, – it's like the area agency agencies on aging and home health and just a way for people to receive um, supports and services as is in the name. Uh, so, you know, just um, and, and like I, you know, also reach out to us, your legislators, if you have a problem, because, um, you know, that's our that's our job. And, and usually it's really easy uh, shouldn't say really easy. Sometimes it's still frustrating, but uh, I've had some pr- really good success just saying, oh, oh, yeah, I can I can help you with that, you know, and one email or one phone call and it's taken care of. And um, just because I've kind of tried to navigate it for others um, and I got it down now. So yeah. that senior helpline, though, is really amazing. I think as we have sort of less and less ombuds positions throughout our state government, um, and our forms become more and more complicated. I, it is just so powerful, that senior helpline. I mean, I remember when I worked at Economic Services and someone would call and they would, if, when I heard that they were old enough to be calling the senior helpline, I was so excited because I needed <laughs> so much better help than anyone, like throughout the economic services system could to navigate, um, especially Medicare. I think they're really brilliant in helping people. I, I was just going to say that when it comes open enrollment time and you um, are in a position where you have to choose, uh, you know, a Medicare supplemental plan or you're in the position that you want to do that um, or a prescription plan, that uh, they are invaluable when it comes to that. It is, uh, yeah, they, they're the ones who know that um, hands down. And for the record, I would just like to say I do not want Medicare for all. I want Medicaid for all. Medicare is confusing to no end with layers of outside expenses for people. Medicaid is, like, tidy and straightforward and understandable and covers most things. So I just, you know, for the record, I understand that Medicare has a nicer branding around it, but Medicaid Mm -hmm. for all is my goal. Well, Medicaid, you know, um, has the ability for the state to personalize uh, what it wants to do in your state, in our state. Yeah. Because Medicaid is a, is a state federal, uh, cooperative program, um, which would be one reason why the state would not want that. Representative Kornheiser. (laughs) 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 So can we, uh, segue a little bit, uh, during the break, uh, Teresa, you mentioned, um, the issue of self-neglect 
for that many elders might experience. And there's a, a working group focused on, on that issue right now. Could you give us a little background on that? Sure. Um, well, just to take one step backward, um, Vermont has, uh, as, as do um, probably all other states, uh, an adult uh, protection statute that um, uh, essentially if you, if any of us witness, um, you know, somebody being abused, whether it's financial exploitation or whether it's, um, you know, physical or mental abuse or uh, any of those kinds of things, verbal abuse, um, we have, we have um, a division of licensing and protection within the Department of Disabilities, Aging and Independent Living that investigates those things. And um, that, uh, that division is often charged with uh, needing to figure out what to do with people like, um, you know, you or I who might call and, you know, we know of somebody, you know, downtown who really is living, you know, in a situation that, um, you know, or that's not good and a local health officer has called you or, you know, something like that and they're concerned about that person. Yet that person is their, they, they're their own guardian. They have family members perhaps even, um, but um, they seem to be neglecting sort of their basic physical, um, physical help, their food, clothing, shelter, those kinds of things. Uh, it's, it's, this is a sticky wicket, I can tell you that, because, um, you know, lots of people will say that's what they, this is, this is the way they prefer to live. They don't want anybody's help. They don't want anybody's interference. Um, and, uh, so we have a working group in, uh, that was in the Older Vermonters Act, uh, set up over the next, uh, year and a half or so to come to the legislature with any recommendations for changes in our adults. Uh, abuse and protection laws. Um, and it, they need that time in order to be able to really fully vet what other states are doing, um, what we're seeing as national trends, and to try to figure out if there are Vermont solutions for this. Um, right now, uh, we do not address self-neglect in our um, adult abuse statutes. Um, it has been discussed many times, uh, and of course, personal liberties come into this. Uh, and people's legal rights. And if you, especially if you're deemed competent, um, and you choose to live in a certain way, even though it might not be the way that sort of society thinks that you ought to be taking care of yourself. Um, uh, those, those are the kind of really, uh, sticky issues that you get into about that. But there is a working group to, to try to sort of hammer that out and to come back with us with recommendations. Or not. I mean, they may determine that this is something that we do not want to address in, in state statute, but, um, there are a number of other states who have addressed it. Uh, and, you know, I'm feeling like Vermont needs to do something. I just don't know what that something is yet. Yeah. I know that's an issue that's come up a lot in our town and that our town health officer often calls our homeless services agency, um, to ask them to be sort of communication intermediaries in um, issues of someone who's sort of perceived self-neglect is leading to something that the neighbors can even see with regards to the housing. Um, and maybe that, you know, often that involves some sort of rodents. But 
it's it's absolutely not sort of the purview of the homeless services agency. This person is fully housed and they're just considered like people who are good at having difficult conversations with people. And so that's why they're being called. Yes. But um, it seems like in addition to some real um, civil liberties issues, there's also just sort of a service gap there that we might be able to go a little way towards filling. Um, or maybe it's just helping our um health officers be better trained and having those kinds of difficult conversations. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people, uh, you know, I can think of an example right here in my community um, uh, of a lady who was really known to everybody. um, And uh, she, she was fully housed. Um, She fed her animals better than she fed herself. And, um, and uh, she really, um, didn't have a lot of social skills and um long story short she she fell and and broke her hip um in the last 6 months or so and everybody was like where is she where you know cuz we always would see her on the street where is she where is she and so finally a neighbor who wasn't sort of connected on front porch forum realized that there was this conversation going on on front porch forum and um and he chimed in and he said oh you know he updated us on her status. She had had an operation. She was in rehab, but she was going to to stay um, there, and she was doing great. And uh, and in, and in fact, it was it was really kind of cool because she received this you know whole bunch of um, holiday cards and people um, sending her things at the rehab place. And he you know posted a picture in her in her local digital newsletter. Um, of her and she looked better than she had in, you know, the last 30 years. Um, so with a smile on her face and everything. So, but she was a person who would have fallen into this category of somebody who was self-neglecting and did not want anybody's help. But finally, when she got to that point of she was not able to physically get up and get to the doctor and call the ambulance and all of that kind of stuff, she accepted help. And she, she honestly, I think is really much happier now. So. We do make a lot of assumptions, I think, you know, as community members about whether or not somebody wants help or doesn't want help. And um, it, it is a difficult needle to thread, I will say. What this stands out for me and just for the sake of listeners, as you may know, I live in an apartment building and something is now uh, being a gathering is happening in the, the next door apartment. So if you hear noise, uh, I apologize. Um What this strikes for me is, you know, people's lives are becoming more complicated and their needs are becoming more complicated, regardless of whether they're a child or an elder or mental health issues or physical health issues. And it seems like we are sometimes expecting neighbors and community members and family members to sometimes maybe step in where it's more appropriate for a a social service agency to step in, kind of going back to what Emily said about difficult conversations. And I don't know where I'm I'm going with this, but I do just want to acknowledge that um, as things become more complicated, there is more being expected of, of the community. And either we need to, better support the community so it can step up or we need to step up our, our agencies. I don't know. What, what are your responses to that? Well, I'm thinking about two weeks ago, we had a conversation about um, 
intimate partner violence with the Vermont network on domestic violence and um, about this and about our local with our local domestic violence shelter, um, the Women's Freedom Center about bystander training. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the fact that many of us, um, especially, you know, as Vermont communities are really ever changing in their makeup um, and as less people might know each other from their kids schools that we really need to be supported in knowing what to do um, and how to talk to our neighbors in some cases or how to care for each other or, you know, how, um, you know, as we become more culturally and ethnically and generationally diverse. I think some of us just really need the skills of how to offer help to someone in a way that um, doesn't feel like an imposition or um, how to step in when you see that someone is really struggling and um, without sort of hurting their pride. And all of those things are very possible conversations to have. And I think all of us are very comfortable having them in like our very individual family cultural context. But when you're going between cultural contexts, I think it gets a lot harder. And I think that's maybe where we all could use some help with both, you know, younger Vermonters and older Vermonters and people in all kinds of different situations. But many of us want to live here because of the incredible community ties we have. And so I want us to keep on investing in those community ties. Yeah, I, I so agree with you, Emily. I, you know, like Vermont has got, you know, the most nonprofits per capita in the country. And I think I, I'm not sure that we need more of those. Um, <laughs> I, I think that um, I, I really resonate with what you just said. A lot of people live here because they like the community connectedness that we have. I mean, everything from Dan, I remember you telling stories about, uh, you know, the, the wood, the trees that have fallen down beside the road and getting a bunch of people to, to cut up those trees for firewood and people would just come take the firewood Um you know, that was a, a great community service that you guys did up there in your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wood bank has been really, um, really successful over the years. So just being able to, to engage the community in service. And a lot of um, community service is just having somebody um, help you know, direct people say, okay, this person needs a wheelchair ramp and I got all the wood. So let's, let's put this thing together. Or, you know, people are going to be cold unless we figure out a way to get this firewood cut up and split and delivered and people will step up. It's kind of one of the neat things about living here is that people will volunteer their time. One of the most valuable assets they have um, to come up and, and help others in the community. And then to your point, you were talking about earlier about, um, you know, I, working with people that need services, sometimes um, those services just aren't available. So when you, you know, if, if somebody, um, you know, their house is falling apart, it's like, okay, um, you know, we don't have the financial ability to go in and put a new roof on it or whatever. But, you know, what we have to do is figure out, okay, then is there another place that individual could live or, um, you know, if it's accessibility for the home because the bedrooms are on the second floor and, you know, how do you, how do you make that work? Or, you know, the, the door to the bathroom is only 28 inches wide or whatever. And a person, you know, needs to be able to get through with a walker or a wheelchair. So, um, a lot of those, a lot of that work, um, is expensive and, and hard to get done. Yeah. 
So. Thank you, everyone. We have just a few minutes left, and so I want to touch uh, base with Teresa and Dan specifically. Is there anything you want to leave listeners with before we we end today's show? Well, one of the things that I did want to touch on just briefly um, is the uh, mental health and substance use by older Vermonters. Um, we, you know, we tend to think about substance use or misuse as something that affects, you know, uh, younger people. Uh, but there is a, a significant portion of Vermonters, older Vermonters, that have a, a substance misuse issue. And um, so that is something that uh, our health department is paying particular attention to. Uh, and we, of course, are doing that in our committee. Um, so I just wanted to, to bring that up because people don't ordinarily think of, you know, people in in that age bracket as having a substance use issue. And um, just as a reminder to people that alcohol still in Vermont uh, is the number one substance that uh, that people have an issue with. You know, we hear a lot about opioids, and that certainly is an issue, and it's certainly devastating. But uh, alcohol, we, we are reminded of that frequently by a Vermont Department of Health that mm-hmm. alcohol is still the number one substance that is misused um, extensively by people in all age categories. So I just did want to um, bring that up as, as a, a highlight of something that is uh, an issue that we, that we do um, struggle with here in Vermont. And it could be one of the reasons that Vermont is so high in uh, the, the, our falls, number of people who uh, are injured from, from falls. And so it keeps circling back around, um, you know, uh, with older Vermonters. One thing I would like to, to bring up is um, if people want to continue with this conversation or um, hear about what we're talking about every Wednesday at noon. We have the Older Vermonters Caucus where we bring um, legislators together along with advocates and have a different topic each week, and that's um, put out on YouTube so you can catch different ones. We've had the commissioner um, who actually, uh, Commissioner Hutt, who's moving to um, being our I'm not exactly sure. What's her title again? It's the um, chief prevention officer. Chief prevention officer in the department of the administration. So, uh, a good move for older Vermonters uh, around substance use. She'll be a big advocate. She's a great person. Um, and as I was saying, um, this week we have our congressional delegation this Wednesday. So it's a different topic each week um, that we we bring people in to talk to legislators about, and we talk about legislation that's moving or needs to move within um, within the House. So, And just a reminder for folks uh, to sign up for their vaccines um, if they so desire. Um, Vermont is actually, you know, Vermonters have uh, been very anxious to get their vaccines. And uh, that's been a topic, of course, of great controversy as well in terms of how Vermont has um, you know, laid out the, the bans for uh, the age bans for access to vaccines. But uh, we're closing in on 90% of those folks, 75 and older, who um, have registered and or received their uh, at least one dose of their vaccine. So um, that's great. And now the age band um, this week has moved down to 70 and above. Um, so that is something for your listeners and viewers to think about um, in terms of access. And then after that age band is done, then uh, my understanding is going to be 
open. It's going to be wide open. Um, so, um, which is a little bit different than what they were talking about um, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so that's something to uh, keep in mind for people who want to, um, you know, get as much protection as they think that they can. One thing I've really appreciated about Vermonters, Vermont's approach to um, vaccine rollout, which is I certainly have my disagreements with, but that the bands were narrow enough that everyone in those bands was able to get an appointment for a vaccine when that band was open, um, which is very different from many other states that might have had much wider bands of eligibility, but it became very much like a race to the bottom um, to get an appointment. And I think there was a lot of people that were left out of that process. And so I am glad that as we open up the vaccines, we're really open, you know, everyone who wants an appointment can get one. And if people are having any trouble making an appointment, whether that's because bureaucracy makes them feel a little too wild to sit on the phone long enough or for any other challenges, um, really, you know, both the senior helpline can help people get signed up or I'm happy to help people get signed up. Um, but yep. lots of options for it. There is the online option, but there is also a phone number available. Yes. And I, I do want to point out, this is something I've had to explain to many um, a person uh, around that age banding is that that, that approach, um, Vermont only signed up the number of people that they could guarantee that there was a second dose for. Uh, you know, for all, all, both the vaccines that we have available right now require a second dose. Other states have opened it wide up and they were not guaranteeing that they were going to have a second dose when that, you know, um, third week came around and that person was supposed to have their second dose. And, um, you know, while I don't think it's been perfect, I think uh, the ability to know that you, you know, you leave your first dose, you leave your first shot with an appointment for your second shot here in Vermont. Uh, and that is not the way it's happening in other parts of the country. So um, I think um, while people have certainly had their issues with, um, with the prioritization, that is one thing that I, I do have appreciated. Thank you. We are out of time here on the Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEW 107.7. But before we go, I do want to, we always like to end with a toast. water. <laughs> Thing here and my teacup so, and your teacup <laughs> i just want to toast to all the elders who are out there volunteering in our communities who are caring for their grandchildren and who if we are lucky we will someday be ourselves so mm-hmm. here here to all our elders here. <laughs> Just a reminder, you can find the happy hour at our Montpelier Happy Hour Facebook page on WVEW 107.7, as well as Emily's YouTube channel. And thank you, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for having us. Bye.